listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Good evening. Welcome to Carmelite Conversations here on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Tonight we are going to do part two of a series on the Discalced Carmelite nun, St. Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart. And it's all about love. Um, and with St. Valentine's Day coming up this week, it's a great time to be reflecting on the Sacred Heart of Jesus and love. And both of those um, were pivotal in the life of this special Discalced Carmelite nun. Unfortunately, Mark is not able to be with us tonight, but I have a very special guest who I will introduce in just a minute. If you'd like to join in on this conversation, please call one 866-333-6279. And as always, we would like to begin with a prayer. This prayer comes from um, the words and a prayer of St. Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord, dispose of me according to your will. For I am content with everything, if only I am following you on the road to Calvary. The more thorns there are on this road, and the heavier the cross is, the more consoled shall I be. For I desire to love you with an effective love, with a patient love, and with a love which is dead to self and entirely surrendered to you, O Lord, you on the cross for me, and I on the cross for you. Oh, if I could but once understand how sweet and precious it is to suffer, to suffer in silence for you, O Jesus. O dear suffering, O good Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So what a day it is today to be a Catholic in the life of the church. Today, February 11th, is the Feast of Our Lady of Lords. It's the World Day of Six, so I want to urge you to please pray for everyone for healing. And, of course, tomorrow is Shrove Tuesday or Ash uh, or um, the Mardi Gras, which is... Um, first before we hit Ash Wednesday. But there's another thing about Tuesday. It's also the Feast of the Holy Face. And we have done a great, um, like a four or five part series on the Holy Face on Carmelite Conversations. And it'll be in our archives on Radio Maria if you'd like to find that. And then of course we have Ash Wednesday and Thursday, St. Valentine's Day. But you know, I think what's is most newsworthy this moment is that we had the resignation uh, announcement of our Pope, and um, that surprised us, and we're still uh, kind of pondering all about that. So let's just keep Pope Benedict XVI in our prayers um, and ask the Holy Spirit to come and help all those who will be electing the new Pope. So um, I do have a special guest, and I'm hoping he is connected. Um, it is Deacon Tracy Jameson. Are you there, Deacon Jameson? Yes, Francis. Oh, wonderful. Well, I'm so glad you're going to be able to join us tonight. We've had you on the program before, uh, but I'd like you, could you please tell a little bit to our audience um, a little bit about yourself so they know where you're coming from? Well, it's good to be back with you, Francis. I'm uh, calling from the Athenaeum of Ohio down here in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I'm an assistant professor of philosophy, and uh, I'm also a secular Carmelite. I have a great devotion to uh, Teresa and John of the Cross, and have 
been trying and endeavoring to understand them for for many years and <laughs> along the way i encountered uh saint teresa margaret rady of the sacred heart of jesus and she's always been uh, amazing to me the kind of life that she lived and how so many things in her life uh was sort of a precursor to uh, saint therese who came about 127 years later but i'm happy to be joining you on the phone here from cincinnati well, thank you. Well, let me give a summary of where we were last week so our listening audience will kind of know where we are in the series. Uh, last week, we introduced St. Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart, whose birth name was Anna Maria Reddy, and we discussed her family and her upbringing, her time in the boarding school, and her demeanor and spiritual development, as well as her call to Carmel. And here is a um, young woman who, um, as a child, just kind of wanted to blend in, but had such a great interior life at, as a young one. And we left off last week right at the point that she was entering the cloister of Carmel in Florence, Italy. And she was just entering the doors. And so she's only 17 years old when this occurs. And we have a couple of points we'd like to discuss tonight. Um, some of the challenges she had when she first came to Carmel, uh, the devotion that she had to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which we think is so appropriate as we uh, approach Lent and St. Valentine's Day as well, and then this mystical experience of God is love and its relationship to that encyclical that our Pope Benedict XVI had written. So let's start off. Challenges in adapting to Carmel. Uh, Deacon Jameson, what do you think about that? <laughs> Well, it, it seemed to me um, that sh when she entered Carmel, she entered the mystical life. If you probably went over this last week, and I, I didn't get a chance to hear what all you covered, but she very much dedicated herself to the ascetical life even before she entered Carmel. And when she was at home with her father, she practiced uh, seclusion and silence and penances and really prepared herself for the kind of asceticism that she would be facing as she entered Carmel. And we, now, we see I gotta, her there. i got to uh, interrupt you. Tell us what asceticism is so that all of our listeners know what that is. Well, asceticism is the practice of self-denial. So as we think of the mansions of Teresa as seven levels of... Uh, love of seven levels of faith, hope, and charity in the soul, we, we understand that the first three mansions are primarily ascetical, and that would be what we can do of our own effort, by our own will, to acquire virtue and self-discipline. And the last four mansions are mystical, and that is what God does and infuses in our prayer life to help us to have virtue and to enter into a greater union with Him. So, it's Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene, um, that famous uh, Carmelite professor who, who basically took Teresa's mansions and mapped them on to the life of St. Teresa Margaret and explained how Teresa Margaret, uh, you know, at a very young age, like Therese, uh, progressed through all of those mansions. So it's quite a contrast to see how these how this development takes place in Teresa Margaret's life compared to Teresa of Avila, for example, whereas Teresa of Avila spends, you know, about 10 years at each level, 
uh, Teresa Margaret goes through those levels very quickly. And when she enters Carmel at the age 17, in 1764 there, she basically is entering the fourth mansion. She's entering the prayer of faith, the prayer of quiet that Teresa and John describe there. And uh, the dark night of the senses that, that go with that. That's what she's entering as she, in her own personal life as she, as she enters Carmel. Okay, to, to try to get an, a handle on what that translates into, um, can you talk to us about what her prayer was, this prayer of recollection that she seemed to do so well at, and then also what this prayer of quiet um, as she enters into Carmel? Well, uh, this always comes after a, a long time in the practice of self-discipline and, and, uh, and uh, you know, penances of the type that we try to uh, take on during Lent. And so when she was home with her father uh, at 16 years of age, having received this call to Carmel, which I'm, I'm sure you went over last week, um, she actually received a locution. Yes. Um, and she knew she was on her way to Carmel. She was uh, putting herself in silence and seclusion and, and, and uh, maintaining that very strictly and also giving up uh, a lot of different food, practicing fasting, and also uh, uh, helping the poor and doing all that she could uh, to, to be prepared. And then she begins uh, then as she enters Carmel uh, along that time to begin to experience the first unions uh, that God infuses in her soul, by which he, in episodes, in certain moments, would basically unite her subjectively to himself in a way that would elevate her prayer to, to a higher level of union. And, and these, these unions that she experienced... Um, would would be followed by uh, a time of dryness and, and desolation. So whenever God begins to uh, work with us in this way and to elevate our prayer to that higher level, uh, He gives us a peace that we cannot achieve on our own. So He begins to fill us with His peace, and Teresa describes that as the prayer of quiet, where it is actually no longer us striving to be quiet, but it is actually God infusing peace and quiet into our mind and into our heart. And she began oh, to... And we all need this. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. And we struggle with distractions and everything that goes with that until, until the Lord begins to elevate our prayer and take us to a level beyond where we personally are incapable. He, he gives us a quiet that is supernatural, and so... He supernaturalizes our, our prayer life, and that's what he was doing then, uh, you know, in 1764 with Teresa Margaret when she was only 17 years old. And so right. that, that, is, that is what she uh, opened her mind and heart to as the Lord began to work with her in that way. And so um, because of the training she had with her father as really her first spiritual director and then the other kind of direction she received through her confessors, um, she pretty well had a, a very substantial ascetical program of uh, 
acts and resolutions, things that she would do, and, and the interior struggles she had. But once she really entered Carmel, she had an obstacle um, in the sense that she wasn't used to um, following the superior's will. She she would like, I think the story was the mattress, you know, when they first enter uh, the monastery, uh, they make it easy on the beginners, right? So that, uh, they, it's not so uh, a drastic change from life in the world. And so they get a mattress to sleep on. But I think the story goes that Teresa Margaret, um, did not want the mattress. She was used to sleeping on the floor or on the hardwood. And so she's trying to get rid of it. And they're like, no, you need to keep it. And then she's really not liking this. And she's not seeing the, this as a um, going against the superior's will. She's not been trained that way. So she's just thinking about, you know, she wants to please God and, and give up this luxury. Um, but anyway, she she finds an opportunity uh, to get rid of the mattress when another uh, sister is sick. <laughs> so she she gets her way. But yeah, um, there was another story that I wanted to point out about this. Um, how she's trying to adapt to denying her own will to uh, obey the superior's will. Um, yeah. And that was, I think she she got an abscess on her knee and they had to do surgery. And, of course, in those days it was very primitive and no anesthesia and everything. And um, as part of her recovery, um, the sister who was taking care of her prepared a special meal for her. And St. Teresa Margaret uh, turns this nicer food away and offends the sister (laughs) and uh, basically she has to go through this lesson of it would be better for you to take this and eat it than to do your own will by pushing it away and um, so she learns this lesson several times Uh, but can you speak to this idea of renouncing your own will in obedience to the superiors well, it's a necessary part of our of our journey toward full union with God, and it it's necessary in the secular life as well as in the monastery. But what she's experiencing there is the struggle that we all go to and go through with regard to trying to become detached from our own judgment, you know, from our own intellect and from our from our own self will, and that is the the most difficult. Uh, detachment that we experience. Uh, as we begin, you know, the ascetical life, and uh, we begin to offer um, different acts to the Lord, uh, giving up things, uh, fasting and working for the poor, uh, we, we find that, that we can do that readily uh, with effort. But the, the struggle, of course, is to prefer the judgment of another to our own and to accept the judgment of a superior, you know, a mother or father or in the monastery a superior or, or at work, you know, it might be um, a manager or, or your spiritual director. Hopefully we all have a spiritual director that we uh, put ourselves in obedience to and tell our spiritual director, uh, you know, the different spiritual disciplines that we're taking on. And Sometimes our spiritual director may tell us to uh, to stop those disciplines, and yet we seem to be receiving a lot of benefit from them. And so we go through this struggle. You know, do I do I keep my own judgment? My own judgment's telling me to, 
keep this up because I'm getting so much benefit out of it. But my spiritual director is telling me, no, it's time to give that up. So St. John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila both clearly tell us that obedience is the higher way to go, and that, and that really the, the, the key is not physical mortification. That's not really the main thing. The main thing in the spiritual life is, it is it's the spiritual mortification, and that's a mortification of our own will and our own judgment, and that's the hardest of all. And that might be something that people have a hard time to understand is, wow, I'm doing something, I'm doing these exercises, or I'm giving this or that up, and I'm feeling like, you know, it feels really good. And so why would somebody tell me to stop it? Well, because there's a subtle sense of pride attaching maybe to the feeling, too. And we know God is not about the feeling, right? Certainly, it's uh, you know, there are consolations that God gives us, and Yes, we do. We do appreciate those, and and uh, they can be very, very consoling and helpful for us at different moments of of our journey. But God also wants us to be weaned off of those, right? He He Himself will wean us off of them, and so it is. It is the way of going uh, by pure faith, and pure faith is is uh, basically. Uh, being willing to offer up all those feelings so that we are are going by a kind of darkness right we're we're approaching god uh and and seeking god alone not the gifts that he's going to give us not the consolations that we get from god which which are the effects of of his presence his indwelling in our soul but that we're seeking a full union with God, a perfect conformity of will that would be a transforming union. And it would not be based upon uh, any particular consolations, but it, it would be based upon you know, loving God for himself alone. And that's always what God is calling us to embrace. Well, I know uh, St. Teresa Margaret had a plan of conquest and in her words, she says, to detach self completely from all my natural inclinations in order to adhere the better to you, my divine creator. And so she's, she's taking the harder route. That sure reminds me of St. John of the Cross, right? Right. <laughs> it, it certainly and, does. She, she, like Therese, lives out, you know, in her own experience, exactly the teaching of John of the Cross. She she lives that out, and she has a natural, you know, uh, well, experiential, so to speak, understanding of it, because that's what she's living. She's not getting a whole lot of locutions. She's not receiving a lot of experiences, but she's going that difficult way described by John. Right, and... So uh, another way that we can see how she does this is she's checking herself well, so it's not my will be done, but thy will be done, and thy in the uh, eyes of the superior or whoever's in authority over her, or even the sister underneath her or beside her, um, as far as their um, uh, place in karma, and then she's not complaining or excusing herself, or she might keep back a sharp reply, Um rendering small services at her own inconvenience and expecting no thanks. These are things we can do, right? 
certainly we can we can live this life out in whatever setting that the Lord has placed us. So at work, at home, in the family, uh, in every personal relationship, we can live out these very things that Teresa is is exemplifying for us so well. This detachment and recollection. I mean, that's her plan, right? The plan of conquest of self that she says, my plan is to have detachment and recollection. That's the will and the intellect. That, that's her resolution. And so this is uh, something we aspire to in whatever situation we're in. And it very much involves uh, our relationships with others and, and all that, that all the difficulties that that entails. And you say, well, what is the goal of such a plan? Uh, well, her, her overriding goal is is the same goal of 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 every uh disciple of Christ and that is to acquire the mind and the heart of Christ that is what she wants above all she wants to have the the mind and the heart of Christ in in her own mind and in her own heart so it seems to me like she's giving us a nice challenge for this lent and that is to do thy will be done uh we could just Go through this period of Lent and keep that as our focus, you know, to do God's will or whoever's our superior or our neighbor. And, of course, this isn't aligned with, you know, what is honorable and good um, and ethical and all of that. But a good challenge is to deny self-will and to do God's will. Yes, and the, and the deeper our prayer becomes, the more we understand what God's will is, you know. The, more, the deeper we go into this, like, like Teresa Margaret does, the more we understand what is good, pleasing, and perfect, and we are impressed with with what God desires of us at different moments of the day and in and in different relationships, and and how He is asking us to prefer the judgment of others to our own judgment, or to to forego certain satisfactions for the sake of others, or or where to help, or or where a kind word might be be uh, a word from God. And so we, we enter deeply into this recollection, and we, we have this increased sensitivity to what it is that God is asking us, this increased sensitivity to, to the direction of the Holy Spirit. And that becomes the foundation of our relationship, but it's also the challenge. And most people, just like Teresa Margaret, experience it as a kind of trial, because the moment we have this increased awareness of God's will, the more we see our own failings and, and our own inability to, to do His will, and, and the more helpless we feel, and then yeah. God comes to, to our rescue in that regard. And can you explain why that happens so that our, our listeners understand? Why is it that the more we discover who God is and his love, we see more defects in ourselves? Well, because of God, who God is. God is the source of all goodness. God is love, right, as Teresa puts it. And as we see this burning love, this living flame of love, uh, present, you know, in our lives, in our souls, and directing us, the the more we realize that we're pretty much full of ego, and these are incompatible principles. And so, the the goal is to embrace 
God who is love, and yet that requires the deconstruction of our own ego. It requires the, you know, the suspension of our own will. It requires the the negation of our own appetites and desires. It it makes demands on us, and and we realize when we see this purity in God, we realize that that we we often are acting more selfishly than we had imagined. And so in the light that comes from God, we our imperfections become more and more apparent. And that that can be a, a difficult struggle. In fact, it is for for all of us. And so as one progresses, it can be uh seeming like you're going backwards. And but you have to just keep persevering. You cannot stop praying, and you cannot stop striving and doing your best, right? <laughs> Certainly, uh, we're we're tempted to give up. We're tempted to despair. And Teresa Margaret is is tempted very severely in that regard. She's she's very severely tempted, um, and and she has this. You know, she enters into some levels of prayer where she she just feels like. You know, she would rather she would just rather die. And there's there's two you know there's two ways to think of that. Uh, we we remember in the life of Mother Teresa how you know Mother Teresa of Calcutta how everyone was shocked to read of the spiritual struggles that she went through, and it seemed at times in things that she had written that she was almost at the brink of despair. And when we when we study Teresa Margaret. She she comes to that same brink. She never goes over the edge, but but she 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 is tempted in that regard. And in the life of Therese of Lazoo, you you see the same thing in her night of right. faith. Yes. And and you well, say, you know, well, what is we're going to have? Yeah. We're going to have to take a little bit of a station break right now, and we're going to come back in about three or four minutes, uh, and we're going to pick up where Deacon Jameson is speaking, and then we'll get into her devotion to the Sacred Heart, and more importantly, um, as a result of that, this great experience of God is love. So we'll be right back on Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria in just a few minutes. Stay tuned.
Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Welcome back. We're talking with Deacon Tracy Jameson about St. Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart. And I'd like to get into the topic of her devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, um, a devotion which her father introduced to her. So, uh, Deacon Jameson, can you share a little bit with us about this devotion and how it affects her growth in Carmel? Well, it, be- it seems to begin in around 1762, so... She would have been uh, at age 15, and it's introduced to her by um, a member of her family, uh, one of her father's uh, brothers, I guess. Uh, father yeah, Diego. an uncle, right? Yes, uh, an uncle. Yes, so, he's a Jesuit. A Jesuit, yes. And this was a new devotion, and it was certainly promoted by the Jesuits, and the Jesuits had a big influence on Teresa Margaret, and so she benefited from from their instruction and from this devotion, and so she became deeply attached to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and she began to compose hymns. In, in, as, as a young girl there, she would compose hymns in honor of the Sacred Heart, and, and her father encouraged her to, uh, to continue this devotion. And uh, he actually uh, bought her a copy of the life of St. Margaret Mary, and that became uh, very uh, formational in, in her own spirituality. And so she decided to make St. Margaret Mary, you know, her, her model, her spiritual mistress, so to speak, to follow her example in, in, in this devotion to the Sacred Heart. She never received uh, much of this instruction uh, uh, when she was in the boarding school, but uh, from her father from age 15 and then on as she entered Carmel at age 16, she continued that devotion. and. And her act of oblation in Carmel and the different things she did were always tied to the sacred heart of Jesus. In fact, I think her motto was to give love for love. And I really like that motto. And um, it reminds me of St. John of the Cross saying, you know, where there is no love, put love, and then you will find love. So, you know, all this centering on God as love. So um, I'm sitting here, uh, you know, in this day and age, thinking, well, it's no surprise to me that she had this great mystical experience about God as love because she's already being prepared through this great devotion of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And I think when she first entered the Florence Carmel, 
um, she uh, said that she wanted to enter the monastery in order to compete with her companions there to see who would love God the most. <laughs> I thought I thought that was really good. I mean, I guess there were there were these challenges, and uh, one nun would challenge another nun to do something that both of them could help grow in virtue. And I guess Teresa of Avila did that too. And you know, the tradition continues, but you know, it it seems that. Um, this was not well accepted at first. In fact, I think, wasn't St. Teresa Margaret the one responsible for the first celebration of any kind to the Sacred Heart there in the Florence Carmel? Yes, that's what I have read, that, that she was the one to bring that about first there in that Carmel in Florence. Yeah, and they weren't going to have a special mass, so, uh, and she was kind of disappointed, so I, I think what she did, she, she wrote some songs, and then she found out which sisters could sing them, and then which sisters could play some instruments, and then they, she put some flowers over there by a statue of the Sacred Heart, and then they gathered together, and they, they had their first celebration informally. Yes, what a marvelous so, benefit, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. So, um, Anyway, and then in her breviary, uh, there's a story, uh, you know, she has this great love for Jesus and the Sacred Heart, but she also has a great love for Jesus present in the tabernacle. So Eucharistic adoration is huge for her. And so she wrote on a little piece of paper and put it in her um, office, eyes to the earth, heart to God. God is present here. So, you know, it just seems like she's imbued with what this is. This is love of God, and, and yet it, it's more on the outside. And then we lead into this experience of, of this God is love. And it's, it's like, uh, now it's like she's hearing the words God is love for the first time, even though she's, uh, heard this many times. You want to start, uh, explaining what this mystical experience was for us? Well, in 1767, she received a kind of rapture, a kind of special union, uh, when she was 19. Okay, you got to back up. Hold on. You got to explain what this would be. Uh, Mm -hmm. What does this look like to some outsider? Rapture. (laughs) Well, this would be where God is uh, calling Teresa Margaret uh, to a higher union with himself and is actually suspending uh, her her faculties in such a way that um, he becomes the object of her love more directly. And so her faculties would turn from their natural operation and and be focused on God for for a certain amount of time. And this is kind of an elevation. it's a it's a supernatural effect of what God is doing uh, in her soul so that he might acquire this this love. Uh, now, her goal is to love as God loves and to know as God knows. So her goal here is to be able to love God with, the, with his own love, the love that is eternal in his own, you know, in his own heart forever in the, in the Holy Trinity. So she's aspiring to acquire a supernatural love for God. This is something that is beyond her own capacity, but as uh, as many of the doctors of the Church tell us, this is something that God wishes to give to each and every disciple of Christ, this ability to supernaturally love God with his own love. And it presupposes that we supernaturally know God with his own knowledge. And so 
the way Teresa Margaret puts it is that, you know, she not only wants to have the sacred heart of Jesus, she wants to have the sacred mind of Jesus. She wants to huh. know God as God knows himself. She wants to love God as God loves. And and that that is something totally beyond her, but it is a grace that, that is given uh, as God uh, d- determines in each person's life who dedicate themselves to, to pursuing this in the way that God sees fit. And so this was a big mystical grace, and yet she tried to hide it from the others around here, but it was a giveaway in that she was kind of flustered, and, you know, for three days she's going about uh, kind of uh, uh, withdrawn, not not necessarily like ignoring people, but uh, occupied in this this thought, and uh, even her her cheeks would be flushed, and um, she would get so excited when anybody would want to talk about love. Uh, in fact, uh, her spiritual director she said he he was this is the quote he writes about her. She told me about divine things, remarking that this charity is the same love with which God loves himself from all eternity, the Spirit of God himself, which is his life and his breath, who is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And and she goes on and on. And so here now she's experiencing God um, through uh, a special participation and grace, right? Yes, and it, it does leave her dazed. She... It's one of the main supernatural, uh, mystical experiences that that we see in her life. The the two primary ones are are her call to to Carmel, where she receives a a special locution, a special grace, which is an extraordinary favor there. And and this this too is an extraordinary experience that she that uh, it phases her so much that she 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 kind of is uh, stunned by it and is unable to keep herself uh, self-composed. She will say things out loud and, and be praying out loud and not realizing that she's, she's talking because she's so caught up in this union with God. And it, it corresponds to the same thing that Teresa describes in the interior castle, it's just that Teresa uses that nuptial imagery, you know, where with Teresa you have the spiritual meeting and the spiritual betrothal and the spiritual marriage, and that is a way of describing the union between the soul and God and how it, it goes through these levels of, of progression. Well, this, this uh, union that she experiences, which she calls her God is love experience, uh, this is her meeting. This is the spiritual meeting where God is now beginning to uh, reveal to her that he is going to uh, make her his own bride. He's going to wed her to himself completely and perfectly. So this would be like a fifth mansion experience, right? Yes, it is the fifth mansions for her, yes. And, and she's so there's 19, a very. She's only 19 years old. It's amazing. 
Yes, so thank you, God, for this grace and for us being able to read about it and learn from it uh, and to know that this is possible. Um, she she really has an experience of God. There's, If I remember correctly uh, from St. Teresa of Avila's teaching, that there's a real certitude that God is within and that you are truly loved by God and that you are uh, loving him in return. And uh, you, nobody can convince you otherwise, right? Teresa makes that point very forcefully, and she says, you know, this is not anything that we can bring about by our own effort or by our own uh, kind of uh, different techniques of meditation. It's nothing that comes from the self, and it it catches you totally off guard, and it's something that uh, is is very much an effect of, of God's direct intervention and a direct elevation of, of our own faculties. Right. So it's it's one thing to be, you know, striving to love God and quite another thing to really feel that love experientially in this kind of certainty, in this uh, uh, sea of grace. It, uh, what a what a great gift. Uh, but there this doesn't continue nonstop. Right. Right. It's we call it episodic. Right, it, it occurs in episodes. So she was receiving small episodes of union, uh, you know, through, throughout uh, the time when she entered Carmel. But this become this is the combination of it. So we describe it as you know, there's a transitional phase, and then there's kind of a phase where it stabilizes in the fifth mansions in this spiritual meeting. And mm-hmm. and you and God uh, gives you a union with Himself through the will, which becomes a, a kind of permanent union, and and that is that is what she's uh, going through here. She's receiving this higher union of the will uh, because God has decided it was time to grant her this grace and. And as you know, uh, in just three years after that, uh, she she will die. She will die at a very young age, and and her spiritual director, uh, you know, himself points out that that uh, those who receive these kinds of graces at a very young age typically die at a young age. They don't remain hmm, in this dying life. of love, right? <laughs> well, yeah, they, they 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 are they have gone through the perfecting the purgation of this life, and they they are ready for 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 heaven. They're ready for the beatific vision, and and that is the goal of her whole life. She she wants she wants to know God as as Jesus, you know, knows the Father. She she wants that face to face vision with God, and as she receives this. God is love encounter, she begins in this life to, you know, approximate that as close as you can in this life. So in this life, we don't receive the beatific vision, but we begin to receive a kind of vision uh, through the intellect, through faith infused in the intellect, through love infused in the will. In this life, we, we begin to receive kind of a down payment of, of what is to come in the next life. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, how does this relate to um, Pope Benedict's uh, encyclical um, Deus Caritas Est, which you can translate? 
Well, that's just God is love, which is what Teresa Margaret kept saying over and over again. That was yes. the motto, motto of her life, and that was her experience of God. It, uh, really, it's the experience of the effects of what God is doing in her soul, because God transcends all experience. You know, He's beyond all experience. But the the relation to the encyclical is indirect, of course. I mean, she's not mentioned in it at all, but... The connection you could make there, which would be very uh, appropriate, would be in the first part of the encyclical, God is Love, uh, Pope uh, Benedict XVI basically gives us a summary of everything Teresa goes through, because he, he gives a summary of the mystical life and the development of love that takes place in the soul who who goes through this this perfection of, of this infused virtue. So it's very much based upon the theological virtues infused in, in, in the soul and, and how those begin to transform us subjectively. They begin to transform our mind and our heart. And as Benedict describes, our own human love undergoes this development, this transformation from a kind of, uh, you know, infatuation kind of love to a more sacrificial form of love. And this is where our own love and our own subjectivity becomes more and more like that of Christ. And and so our own human love undergoes these changes, and we can point out how God's love is different than human love, because human love is always receptive to that which is good. You know, we react to things that are good, and that is the basis for, for human love. But but God's love is at a different level. God's love is not receptive to good so much as it is productive of good. And so this, this, this kind of love is what you mentioned there, John of the Cross describes, you know, to put love and you will receive love. Well, that is when our love is transformed by God's love to become productive. And so we become a source of love for others. And we have that mind and heart of Christ which radiates God's love out and, and actually begins to produce love where there isn't love. So our love is, is no longer just receptive. Our, our love is actually productive of, of many different goods where God is radiating his own love out and we become the hands and the feet and the eyes and, and, and you know, the, the, the words of God pour forth from us because of this union that we're experiencing. So this is described in the first part of the encyclical very nicely using the traditional Carmelite nuptial theology, uh, you know, this, this idea of a spiritual marriage, this idea of our spirit becomes one with, with God's spirit not that we lose ourselves, but that there's a kind of marriage there. And this is the same thing that Teresa Margaret is describing. Well, now, we know that this fifth mansion experience, this God is love that she had, uh, if one were to read about her, they would know that uh, life wasn't all easy after that. Uh, there were painful times. Um, in fact, there was a sense of her not loving can you kind of give us an idea of how that happens and what goes on next? Well, the, the next level here, as described by Teresa and John, 
when you enter into the betrothal, that's a transitional phase where it's the most difficult struggle that we experience. We, we call it a dark night of the spirit, and that is where we feel that we have lost God. And it's, it's the highest level of union in this life with Christ crucified. We actually live out the crucifixion in our own lives and become, you know, become a victim as Christ, as Christ uh, was for us. And so she begins to experience this dark night of the Spirit. And you say, well, how in the world can God, you know, put people through that? Well, it's, it's based on a very clear principle in the, in the teachings of the, the doctors of the Church. And the, the principle is that every virtue must be tested in order to be perfected. And it is in this dark night that faith, hope, and love, these virtues which God has infused in our souls, they, they reach their perfection. So faith becomes stronger to the, to the degree which we exercise it when it's difficult, right? And love becomes stronger to the degree that we exercise it when we're challenged to run away, you know, when, when we're called to, to take on things that perhaps we find distasteful and so on. And so, it's sort of like, uh, it's sort of like uh, the person who wants to be courageous. Well, unless you're tested in, in a, uh, a situation of fear, how can you exercise courage, right? Yes, that's the only way. So we pray for humility and, and by the grace of God, we, we're humiliated. And we pray for courage, and by the grace of God, we, you know, we're put in fearful situations. And so when we pray for love, by the grace of God, we, we are put to the test so that we can grow in love, so that we can become sacrificial. And so her life becomes sacrificial. She takes on a mission, and the mission that she's given in that setting is to take care of the sick. And she performs that duty heroically, even though she finds it extremely difficult. And she's very much mistreated because she has to take care of sisters who are mentally ill, for example. And she's berated, you know, and she goes through enormous sufferings and oppositions. And, and she, she embraces that heroically because... She she knows that it's coming from God, and she knows that that is where she is learning to, to love as God loves. And it becomes so difficult that her superiors offer to take that job away from her. And she says, no, uh, if you'll let me, you know, she's, she's, she's very submissive, you know, she's not insisting on her own will anymore. She's grown right, way she's out of this. Yeah, she's grown <laughs> way out of that. So she right. says, if you'll let me, if you'll permit it, then I will stick with this, taking care of the sick and the mentally ill. I will, I will keep this. And, and they let her. They let her continue, even though they see what, it, what it's doing to her. So they, they allow her to, to uh, carry out this mission that she receives there in this darkness. And she goes through a kind of rebellion of her own, what she calls, you know, a rebellion of her sensitivity. She she becomes oversensitive about everything, and she finds it, you know, extremely difficult to do even the simplest acts of virtue. And she, she's extremely tempted to, 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 to respond badly and to give up, but, but she, by an effort of her will, 
she overcomes that. And, and that really is where our will then, when it's put through that kind of testing, that's where our will begins to come in conformity with God's will. Because in spite of the extreme difficulty, we continue to do God's will, even though it's so difficult for us. It's sort of like if you could play God and you were watching her from heaven and, and you're saying, okay, we're going to send these challenges to her. We know it's tough, but we know that she's, you know, been uh, very dedicated and persevering. And, you know, by doing this, uh, she'll attain a higher level of holiness and she will be more purified and more in the image and likeness of God. So it, it's really good. Yes, and she will receive a greater capacity for happiness. So her happiness increases to the degree that she enters into this, and that, that is a happiness that will last for all ages, right? Her, her capacity for her vision of God is being increased at every day that she lives through this dark night. And she, she understands that and accepts it, even though it's so painful and difficult. And that gives us a hint of of the joy of suffering, doesn't it? Yes, and we should understand Christ in that way. I mean, no one suffered more than Christ, uh, but on the other hand, no one was more joyful than Christ either. And so Christ is perfectly joyful to carry out the will of God, even though it entails such suffering. Now, he experiences that, but he, by, he, you know, he keeps his will focused on the will of the Father, and he, he never backs off of that, and that's the challenge for all of us. And that is what becomes the source of great joy. And we should always remember that after the cross comes the resurrection. And that's true, oh. both in this life and the next. And as we study the saints, we can uh, get an indication of what that looks like, and then we can start to see God's hand in our own lives and in our own situations. I'm thinking of people out there who are taking care of mentally ill patients or um, parents or siblings with Alzheimer's or um, mental handicaps of any kind. This is a great saint to be asking for help. Yes, absolutely. She's kind of a patroness. So if you, you know, all those who are taking on that mission out of love of God would certainly receive help through through St. Teresa Margaret's prayers. Well, this hour has gone by so fast, but here we are at the end of the hour. So I want to really thank you, Deacon Jameson, for calling in and sharing so much with us tonight. And I hope you'll come back and join us again. We do hope to continue with this series um, next Monday night. So thank you, Deacon Jameson. I'm so glad you were here with us. Well, thank you, Francis. I'm glad to join you, and uh, if any of your audience is local and wants to come down and take some courses in mystical theology, please encourage them to come visit us at uh, the Athenaeum of Ohio, down here in Cincinnati, Ohio, where the uh, local seminary has many good courses in theology and ministry and much to offer them. Oh, what a great opportunity. All right, as we do each night, um, each time we get together, we're going to close with a prayer. Um, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heart of Jesus, burning with love of us, make our hearts to burn with love of Thee. 
May thy Holy Spirit, we beseech thee, O Lord, enkindle in us that fire which our Lord Jesus Christ sent upon the earth from the innermost recesses of his sacred heart, and which he willed should burn with exceeding warmth, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the same Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us on Carmelite Conversations. We hope you'll be with us again next week. Good night. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.